Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, and turn to the New Testament book of Acts. As Gracie said earlier, we've been going verse by verse through the book of Acts. We kind of detoured during the holidays and looked at some different things. And Pastor Roger sure did bless and challenge us last week with his message from the book of Philippians. And now we're back to the book of Acts. We're living in a day and age that most of us could not ima have imagined 20 years ago or even 10 years ago. Things are so upside down and things are... I had a Sunday school teacher say this when I was your age, when I was in college. It was a long time ago and his name was um, David Carter. David Carter said the only thing that is shocking today, we're talking 1980s, is that nothing is shocking anymore. There's no way that David Carter or I could have envisioned the world that we live in today. This past week, we just remembered the solemn anniversary of the Supreme Court decision that legalized the Holocaust of unborn children in our nation. Unthinkable. I mean, it doesn't even compute in my brain that we live in a country where it's okay to kill children. I was talking to someone earlier whose family had a tragic miscarriage. I remember my wife and I, when we felt like, okay, you know, we're seminary, I'm through seminary, I'm serving in my first church, we think we're ready to have children now. And within the providence of God, that took a while for us to conceive the first time. We were so excited. And my grandmother was old school. Don't tell anybody yet. It's too soon. You don't talk about it. I wanted to tell the whole world. And I'll never forget that phone call from my wife. We didn't have cell phones then when she called me at Old Forest Road Baptist Church. And secretary transferred the call and I picked it up and my wife is sobbing. She didn't have to say a word. I ran out of the church and my secretary said, what is wrong? I said, we just had a miscarriage. We lost our first child. We laid in the bed and cried for two or three days. I'm just being honest with you. We just said, Lord, this hurts. But then the providence of God, our son was conceived shortly thereafter. But to think that we live in a world where it's legal to do that. 65 million babies have been murdered before they took their first breath in our country. And people applaud that and they think that's a wonderful thing. That is 2,548 babies a day in the United States. 106 per hour and one baby is murdered every 34 seconds. In our most recent Congress, and I'm not trying to be political because this is a biblical issue. Don't edit it out. I want everybody to hear this is a biblical issue. But in our most recent Congress that just went in, a, a bill was proposed that says, again, it's unthinkable. It's, we're living in an upside down world that if someone has an abortion and that baby is born alive, they propose legislation that says you got to take care of that baby. Well, that's just common sense to me. Is it not common sense to you? Aren't doctors sworn to uphold and to preserve and protect life. I want you to know that that common sense legislation, both of our senators, both of our U.S. senators from the state of Georgia voted against that. One of them twisted scripture to justify letting a little baby born alive to lay there and die. It takes a special kind of evil to take the Word of God and to twist it for evil. We live in an upside-down, crazy world. And by the way, that legislation failed. So a baby born alive can be left there to die if they survive an abortion. I saw a video, if you follow me on Facebook, I reposted of a young lady. She's in her 30s now. She's a survivor of a botched abortion. She sat and stewed in that saline solution for days before her mother gave birth to her and they were going to let her sit there and die. 
Thank God for a Christian, I assume a Christian nurse who did the right thing and took that baby and rushed that baby to NICU. And she's alive and well today. And she's taking a stand for the sanctity of human life. She was in Congress when they voted on that legislation a few weeks ago. And she said, I'm sitting there going, none of these people, these men and women, all the women had on white coats, they don't think I should even be alive today. We live in a crazy, mixed-up world. We live in a world where we teach little boys, you're not really a little boy. You can be a little girl if you want to be a little girl. And children are getting medications, and they're mutilating children physically and emotionally and biologically to pretend to be something that they're not. If we can pretend to be something that they're not, why can't I pretend to be a retiree and draw my government check right? And we just pretend to be whatever we want, right? You know, or I can pretend to be something else. And anyway, if you, and this is how upside down the world is. If you say that's wrong, you're evil. there's something wrong with you. If you say every child deserves to live, there's something wrong with you according to the world. If you say a little boy can decide to be a little girl, a little girl can decide to be a boy, then you're the bad guy, you're the enemy. We live in a crazy upside down world. We live in a world where people screech and scream and set fire and protest to preserve a forest in Atlanta, but they'll also screech and scream and yell for the quote unquote right to kill an unborn child. Surely Jesus must be coming soon. How much more of this insanity is our Father going to tolerate? I heard on the way to church this morning early around 7 o'clock, there's a new movie coming out Thursday. It's the next in the series of the Left Behind series of movies. I haven't heard this yet. Called The Rise of the Antichrist. And the person on the radio said it's a true story that hasn't happened yet. If God said it, it's going to happen. So we've been going through the book of Acts. No better place to go if we're planting a brand new church. We want to know how to plant a brand new church than the first century church and the book of Acts. You remember just before he ascended back to heaven, the Lord Jesus said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And they didn't have the internet. They didn't have telephones. They didn't have computers. They couldn't even conceive of that. So they're thinking, how are we going to get the gospel all over when God says he's going to do something, he has a way to make that happen. Remember the, per the persecution started of the church in Stephen. One of the first deacons was martyred for his faith, and that persecution intensified, and the church scattered. And when they scattered, what Satan meant for evil, they took the gospel where? To Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And that's where we are today in Acts chapter number 17. If you'll remember, it's been a while now, in Acts 16, we saw that the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms anybody and everybody. That's the premise of our church. We believe the gospel is for anybody and for everybody, all people, all generations, all ethnicities. But in, the, in Acts 16, we saw... A female seller of purple give her life to Christ. We saw a slave give their life to Christ. We saw a Philippian security guard give his life to Christ. The gospel is for all people. And in Acts chapter 16, in verse 39, after Paul and Silas were released from prison, they said, y'all better get out of here. I'm telling you, the best thing for you to do is get out of town. But they took the time to go to the house of Lydia and encourage the believers there at the house of Lydia. And that's where we are. I wanted you to get the picture of where we are. Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse number 1. If you're physically able, would you stand and let's give honor and reverence to the reading of God's Word. Acts 17 and verse 1. Paul and Silas... Remember Paul, who was, who was Saul, and he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. His life was radically transformed. Paul and Silas then traveled through the towns of 
I tried to practice this word over and over at home. The more I practice, the more I'm going to mess it up. Amphipolis and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica. You know, my dad was such a joker. After he came to Jesus and he taught youth Sunday school, just unthinkable to me that my dad is teaching Sunday school and serving in his church. The alcoholic dad that I grew up with was radically transformed. And when he taught youth Sunday school and they came to a word like that, they said, Mr. Jimmy, what's that word? He said, I just make up something. They thought I was the smartest guy ever. Nobody knows we're in a lie then. They know how they pronounced it. But in any event, had a flashback to my daddy. Verse 2. As was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service, and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the Scriptures to reason with the people. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. Lord Jesus we are so thankful that your gospel transforms anyone and everyone who will repent of our sins and receive the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that makes it possible for us to be forgiven and adopted into your family. God, I'm thankful that because these people in the first century were saved and your gospel traveled to Europe and then America, we're here today as believers in Jesus Christ because of what you did there in the first century. So God, we know that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So may your inspired, infallible word that was penned so long ago be alive in our hearts and in our minds today as your Holy Spirit teaches us and transforms us to make us more like Jesus because we're here today. And it's in his name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. I wasn't choking at all until I got up to preach. This message that Paul and Silas, the message of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for our sins, the message that transformed lives in Thessalonica is the same message that we share with the East Hall community in all of Northeast Georgia. What can we learn from them? They were in an upside-down world. We'll get to that phrase in just a minute. How do you live right side up? in an upside-down world. I've already shared with you, you already knew this, we live in an upside-down world. How are we supposed to live right-side up in an upside-down world? What can we learn from Paul and Silas? Number one, write this down. We must have a strategy for witnessing. We must have a strategy for witnessing. What is witnessing? It's just telling somebody what you saw and you experienced. If there was a traffic accident out here on Old Cornelia Highway today and you were there and the police came up and said, tell me what you saw, you're being a witness to what you saw and experienced. We are witnesses of Jesus Christ. Acts 1-8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we will be his witnesses telling people about him everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. But Paul had a strategy for that. In the first century, when he went to a new town, he usually went to the synagogues first. Remember, there was not a synagogue in Philippi, but there was a Jewish synagogue in Thessalonica. Why do you think, we've talked about this already, why do you think Paul went first to the synagogues to preach? Why do you think? You may have answered me, and I'm deaf and I can't hear you, I guess. Because they at least had some reverence and respect for the Old Testament scriptures. They recognized there was a creator God, so that was a starting point. They weren't yet believers in Jesus, but they had some level of respect for holy God. So that's where he always went. He had a strategy for evangelism. That's where he started. 
What should be our strategy? Letter A, write this down. We must examine, we must explain the Scriptures. We must explain the Scriptures. We all have an experience, and all of our experiences are different, but the Word of God stands forever. It never changes. Look at verse 2. For three Sabbaths in a row, he used the Scriptures to reason with the people. There was a give and a take dialogue. It wasn't just a monologue. He asked questions, and they answered questions. He asked questions of them. A great technique for you and I in sharing the gospel. People like to share their opinions. We're all opinionated today. You know, you turn on the television, they're arguing about opinions. Ask somebody this, in your personal opinion, what do you think it takes for a person to go to heaven? And you just listen. Whether they share something biblically correct or something ridiculously off the wall, you smile and you listen. And you say, may I tell you what the Bible says, how you can know you go to heaven? You see, you, just, you disarmed them, you put them at ease, you showed them respect to listen to them, and you say, can I tell you what the Bible says? We've got to explain the Scriptures. And do you know all the answers? If you do, I don't. I've been doing this a long time. I have a master's degree in religion. I don't have all the answers, and I'm not too proud to say, I don't know, but can I R&R? That means research and return. Can I check it out, and I'll get back to you. I'd rather tell somebody I don't know I'll get back with them than tell them the wrong answer when it comes to the Scriptures. Verse, verse 3 again. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. The Old Testament told us all about who Messiah was going to be, what he was going to look like, and what he would endure. The same word translated explained there in verse 3. In the original language, it's translated elsewhere to speak of opening a womb, for God to open the womb of a woman and allow her to conceive a child, or to spiritually open the eyes of a person. We're explaining the Scripture. So the Holy Spirit used this man, Paul, who Paul was a genius, by the way. He was a, he was a learned man. He was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. He was a smart dude, but he explained it in a way that they could understand it. Let's don't complicate the Word of God. We were talking earlier, you know, I don't agree with every, I won't even say his name because it's controversial, but a preacher that I once had great respect for when he wrote one of the most popular Christian books of our lifetime, he rewrote that book over and over and over again before it was published because he would recheck it. He would take out any hard word, any word that may be difficult. And he said, I want people to read my book and understand the scriptural principles. You don't impress anybody by using a large vocabulary. Paul was a learned man, but he said, let's just explain it. You know, our, our friend Randy Brown, who's out doing security right now, last week he said, I just choose not to use all the big words that I know to impress people. I said, I'm going to use that Sunday morning. It fits with what we're talking about. The point is we communicate the truth. I'm not trying to impress you. You don't try to impress lost people. You just tell them what the Bible says with clarity and conviction because the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So it's not my opinion or your opinion. Just tell them what the Bible says. We start with the Scriptures. Letter B, we must show them evidence of transformed lives. We must show them evidence of transformed lives. The video we saw, the intro video, said the Holy Spirit transforms our lives. The Word of God transforms lives. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. They want to know what difference does this make anyway. I really care what you believe. What difference does it make anyway? Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8. Writing to the church at Thessalonica, he said, We love you so much that we share with you not only God's good news but our own lives too. 
Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preached God's good news to you. It may surprise you to know, Pastor Matt and I don't take any salary at all from Transformation Church. We have a sponsoring church who sends us a little bit. I get a little bit from the North American Mission Board, but I work for Nabisco. At some point, I trust that our church will grow, and we can, but we're late. We're in this together. We're all on the same level here. We're laboring together. Paul said, we don't want to be a burden on you. We don't want to be a burden on you. We would rather raise the money to have all that we need to plant this church than to have a salary for ourselves. Hence, we've accumulated a lot of debt. That's what he said. You yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest honest and faultless toward all of you believers. we got to show them that transformed life. You may be the only Jesus some people will ever see. You may be the only word of God some will ever read. So let them see in you the one in whom is all they'll ever need because you may be the only Jesus some will ever see. What difference is Jesus making in your life daily? I love to hear testimonies. I'm, I could just sit back, pass the mic, and listen to you share your testimony all day long. Some testimonies really glorify the devil. They glorify the past. I'm waiting to get to the good part. The good part is, how's your life different? What's Jesus doing for you today? Yes, the Lord saved me, by the way, on February 26th. That's our launch date. It's my salvation birthday. A long time ago. But people don't really care what happened to me as a high school freshman. What difference does he make now? What is he teaching you in your personal quiet time now? How is he using you to impact this community and your world right now? Our, our witnessing strategies got to begin with the scripture and then show them the transformed life. So that's our witnessing strategy. Let her see. Then we got to show evidence of Old Testament prophecies fulfilled. We should show evidence of Old Testament prophecies fulfilled. That's exactly what Paul was doing here in verse 3. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. It's the beauty of prophecy. Listen, over 300 Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Before we had the New Testament, some of those were difficult for us to understand and still can be now until you have the Holy Spirit living in your life. It's like 300 beautiful threads and a, and a beautiful tapestry that come together. And you've got to look at the whole picture of that. The Old Testament prophecies established the messianic credentials of Jesus. The life of Jesus happened as was foretold thousands of years before. So it's like there's a whole lot of pieces in a jigsaw puzzle. Let's imagine the Bible Bible is a jigsaw puzzle, and they don't make a lot of sense if they're just scattered out there. But when you put all the pieces together or you weave that beautiful tapestry together, it all makes sense. I read the other day, somebody said the New Testament is like God's decoding key to understand the Old Testament. It authenticates that Jesus really is the Messiah. The Old Testament said in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 that Messiah would have to be born of a virgin. Hundreds of years before it happened, something that is biologically and humanly impossible. That's why it took the Holy Spirit of God to make that happen. The prophet Micah said, look, he's got to be born in the little city called Bethlehem, a little insignificant city. 
He was in Nazareth. God used the census to get them back there for baby Jesus to be born. It had to happen that way, and it did happen that way. The Old Testament said that Messiah will be preceded by another messenger. And you know the story of John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus. It happened just like prophecy said it was going to happen. The Old Testament prophecy said Messiah was going to come into Jerusalem on a donkey, riding on a colt, and it happened just like that on Palm Sunday. The Old Testament says he's going to be betrayed by a friend, and he was betrayed by Judas for the price of a common slave. The Old Testament said Messiah would be silent before his accusers. When we read the New Testament, Jesus Christ was silent before his accusers, and he could have called 10,000 angels to strike them down. He could have called God to breathe fire down from heaven, but he was fulfilling prophecies. The Old Testament said he's going to die a criminal's death. He died a criminal's death on an old rugged cross between two thieves. The Old Testament said his hands and feet are going to be pierced, but none of his bones will be broken. When Jesus was crucified, his hands and feet were pierced, and none of his bones were broken. We could go on and on and on. There were 300 prophecies that were fulfilled exactly in Messiah. Peter Stoner, in his classic book called Science Speaks, he was a scientist and a theologian, I suppose. He calculated what are the math, what's the mathematical probability that these prophecies could be fulfilled in one man, in one man fulfilling these prophecies. I'm, I am not smart enough to understand all this, but here's how mathematically difficult that is. For one man to fulfill these prophecies, it is one in 10 to the 17th power. Remember, 17th power, that is 1 in 10 with 17 zeros. It's nearly humanly impossible that's ever going to happen. And he said, it's like if you took a whole bunch of silver dollars, how many? 1 in 10 to the 17th power, 10 with 17 zeros, How many silver dollars that is. He says it would be enough to cover the entire state of Texas. They're proud to be so big about big things in Texas. You could cover the entire state of Texas in two feet of silver dollars. And this, this statistician and theologian said, if you took a red X and put on one silver dollar and dropped it in the state of Texas, if you could pick up the state and shake the whole thing up so nobody knows where that one marked red X is, then you take a dude, you blindfold him, spin him around, and then you set him loose, maybe from the middle of Texas, and say, I want you to keep walking. And when you think you've gotten to that red X silver dollar that's under two feet of silver dollars, I want you to stop at that precise place you think that's never going to happen. The mathematical probability is 1 in 10 to the 17th power, exactly the probability of Jesus, and yet he fulfilled all of these. So you begin with the scriptures, you begin with prophecies, you talk about your transformed life, you let people see the difference Jesus made in you, and then I believe we'll have their attention. So a transformed life and fulfilled prophecies, I think, are the two greatest evidences for the case for Christ. So we're going to start with scripture. Number two, don't be deterred by sad rejection. Number two, we learn from Paul and Silas as we try to live right side up in an upside down world. Don't be deterred by sad rejection. Verse five, but then the Jews became jealous and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace. They formed a mob and started a riot in the city. Attacking Jason's house, they searched for them to bring them out to the public assembly. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down. They accused these godly men of turning the world upside down. No, the people were upside down, and they were living right side up in an upside down world. Hence, we need to do the same thing. They've come here too. Verse 7, and Jason has welcomed them. 
They're all acting contrary to Caesar's decree, saying there's another king, Jesus. The crowd and city officials who heard these things were upset. After taking a security bond from Jason and the others, they released them. Listen, wherever the apostle Paul went and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, one of two things happened. Either they had revival or they had a riot. They caused an uproar, a radical upheaval. I would, the old singer Carmen called it a righteous invasion of truth, R-I-O-T. He always calls it a, righteous, a revival or a riot. So we get, that's where we get the title of our message from, from that verse right there. They didn't let the rejection stop them. They didn't let the persecution stop them. You know, people warned us over and over and over again, church planting is hard. You're going to face spiritual opposition. You're going to face spiritual warfare. Like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm an old man. I faced a lot of that in my life. We're, we're, you know, we're ready. We can do this. Can I just tell you, Pastor Matt and I could have never envisioned some of the stuff that we have faced. I mean, most of you know my story and what's going on right now. My stepmother is in her last days of life on earth. We're, we're sad because we're going to miss her, but we rejoice with her because her horrific pain and suffering that we see, I've been down the last two weeks, I'm going down this week to spend more time with her, that pain and suffering is going to be gone. Because on a, on a Mother's Day, when she heard a preacher preach a message on how to be a godly mother, it resonated with her heart, and she said, that's what I want. And she gave her life to Jesus. So we know where she's going. Two weeks ago, I'm going down to spend time with her to relieve my two sisters, who thankfully, my sisters both work at the hospital where she is. But we're with her around the clock, and I feel guilty being up here. I feel like I need to go do my time. So I've got AM 750 on, you know, I'm having my breakfast, and it said there's a wreck on 985. So I'm thinking, I'm not getting in the middle of that. I'm just going to take my time, eat my oatmeal, have my quiet time, and then I'll get ready to go. So I get up to go rinse out my oatmeal bowl in the kitchen, and there's no water pressure in my house. I'm thinking, what's going on with the water pressure? So then I go back to take a shower, and there's water standing in the master bathroom. There's water in our master bedroom. It's coming down the carpet in the hallway. It's going through the wall to the spare bathroom. So we're living in a house right now that's torn out. All the cabinets, carpet, all that stuff's torn out. I'm thinking, Lord, I'm going to visit my dying stepmother. I don't know what you're trying to teach me here, but I hope I learn it soon. So church planting is hard. Living for Jesus is hard. And there come times you think, is it worth all of this? Is it worth all that we're going through? Listen, we got to realize, ladies and gentlemen, eternity hangs in the balance. God called us to this community and this community center. And because God called us to this community center, I don't want to be too specific and give it away because we're on the internet. But last week, Miss Jenny had a little boy in children's church. He's never been in church in his entire life, never been in a church, according to his daddy. He pointed to a cross and said, that's what they have in the graveyard. And Miss Jenny said, that's a cross. That's where Jesus died for our sins. And she shared the gospel with that little boy. And he said, how sad. Why would he die for us? Little boy, he didn't get saved, but he got seasoned. That's why God called us here to this community center and not somewhere else. I don't believe that dad would have brought that little boy to a traditional church building somewhere that want to be a part of something different. God called us to this community center. So as hard as it gets, those of you that were here at 7 o'clock this morning, we're liable to be here till almost 2 o'clock this afternoon packing up chairs and go, why do we do that? Because eternity hangs in the balance. The gospel is worth it. We've not even advertised a whole lot other than just Facebook stuff, you know? Now that we've got these cards that Gracie told you about, I want you to take these cards. There's more of those out there. Pass those out. Invite people. And Lord willing, by the 26th, all the bugs that we encountered this morning will be worked out. Don't let the fear of rejection keep you from sharing the gospel. 
Don't let what somebody thinks about you keep you from sharing the gospel with them. I don't care if they hate me. I just want them to know that Jesus loves them. And here's what Jesus said. You have the special favor of God on your life. You have the special blessing from God on your life if and when people persecute you. Well, let's see what Jesus said in Matthew 5. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Now, if you're being a jerk and an idiot and they talk about you, okay, we bring that on ourselves. But he says there's a blessing when you're persecuted for his name's sake. Verse 12 says, be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. It's too soon to quit. We've been doing this since February, March. Launch is coming up. It's too soon to quit. It's too soon to get discouraged because eternity hangs in the balance. And when we do this, when we talk about the scriptures, when we show people the transformed life, when we share the prophecies of the Old Testament, then number three, we must expect a supernatural response. Maybe that didn't fire you up like it did me, but a little boy who's never stepped foot in a church pointing to a cross and hearing the gospel for the first time, that fires me up. That is a foretaste of what is to come because, listen, that little boy is not the only one. There are people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s in this East Hall community and beyond who've never heard the name of Jesus. It's hard to believe in this society, but they're out there everywhere. I mean, a story that sticks out in my mind, I grew up in rural South Georgia, family-oriented. Is everybody saved? Not by a long shot. But most everybody went to church when I was a little boy. And I worked at Piggly Wiggly, most of you know that, and we always brought out all these corsages at Mother's Day. You wore, I think, a white corsage if your mother was dead. You wore a different color corsage. We sold hundreds of these corsages every Mother's Day. I remember the first time anybody ever said, what's up with the corsages? And I thought, how do you live in this world and you're not aware of what that means? Because he'd never been in church. Because back then, if you were in church, y'all remember, some of you remember this, all the ladies were, the, my wife finally said, stop buying me that. It messes with my allergies. Don't buy me a corsage. But that told me the kid had never been in church. In rural South Georgia, there are people all around us who've never heard the gospel. When we stand faithfully on the gospel, we expect a supernatural response. We expect this gymnasium to be filled up. We expect to have to be baptizing people every week. We expect lives to be transformed. Why else would we do this? Why else would you drive from Truett McConnell and around to be here at 7 o'clock in the morning to put all of this up and stay after us, take all of this down? If you didn't believe God was going to do something, he's going to do exceedingly above abundantly above and beyond all that we could ever ask or imagine all the glory to Jesus for that we expect a supernatural response look at verse 10 that very night the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea when they arrived there they went to the Jewish synagogue right that's their custom it's where they start and the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica and they listened they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. Letter A, we must be eager to receive the word of God. We must be eager to receive God's word. You know, for a preacher to get to sit back and listen to a preacher, y'all just don't know what a blessing that is for us because we're always preaching. For me to get to sit back and listen to, to Alex on Wednesday night teach God's word, for me to get to sit back and listen to Pastor Roger last week preach God's word, I'm, I want to know that because the power is in the word of God. The power is not necessarily just in a location or a preacher or a personality, but the power is in the word of God. So we need to have that eagerness. The people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica and they listened eagerly. 
That word translated eagerness in verse 11, in the original language in the Greek, it's like the picture of a second baseman in baseball. He's got that glove, he's outstretched, he's waiting to catch that ball. That's the kind of eagerness we ought to have for the Word of God. When we get up every morning and we read our Bible, it ought to be an eagerness. Speak, Lord, your children are listening. Your child is listening. I want to get something from the Word of God every morning that I can take with me when I go and I start stocking cookies and crackers at 6 o'clock in the morning at Walmart. I need the Word of God. I need the Word of God more than I need my next breath. I want to have the eagerness that the Bereans had. They couldn't wait to receive the Word of God. Is coming to church a chore for you? Is reading your Bible at home a chore for you? Is the only time you ever open is when you come to church? Are you eager about coming and serving? Are you eager about making it possible for that little seven-year-old boy last week to hear the gospel for the first time ever? Are you eager about being a part of that? Come and see Pastor Matt. Sign up and help us. I'm praying for the day that all the same people don't have to come every week at 7 o'clock. These students, they never complain. They get up, they drive all the way from Truett McConnell with a smile on their face, maybe sleepwalking some of us in the morning. That's okay. They're here wanting to serve the Lord. I'll, there ought to be enough of us that we can have a rotating schedule. We don't have to do that. Why? It's not just about putting up tables and chairs. It's making it possible for people to hear the gospel and for their life to be transformed. So they had an eagerness. The Brians had an eagerness. And let her be, we must examine all things in light of God's Word. We must examine all things in light of God's Word. Look at verse 11, the second half. They searched the Scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. You know, there's some slick preachers out there today. Yeah, some, some of you are not old enough to remember Jim Jones, but it's one of the first really mass religious cult suicides I ever remember as, as a child. Jim Jones at Jonestown, Guyana. He had those people so duped when the authorities were coming in on them, he called them to the pavilion to drink Kool-Aid and take their life. Slick dude. Charismatic, outgoing. People listen to him. I, I think of one dude I saw on Larry King Live years ago. Larry King's been gone a long time, so that tells you. He's on Larry King Live with a Jewish TV commentator, and Larry King is basically begging this skin and grin and smiling best life now preacher to tell him the gospel and how he can go to heaven, and the guy refused. Larry King, a lost Jewish man, asked him over and over, and this preacher who fills massive auditoriums would not even speak the gospel when the door was wide open to do it. Listen, we need to be like the Bereans. I don't care how charismatic a preacher is, how good-looking he is, how entertaining he is. You better take what you hear and compare it with the Word of God. The Bible is the final authority, not a preacher or a personality or even a Sunday school teacher. You take it all back to the Word of God. God's Word is the anchor for Transformation Church. Times will change. People will change. The political climate will change. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He is the Word of God made flesh. We're going to go back to the Word of God to be the anchor for Transformation Church. And when we follow these biblical principles, when we talk about fulfilled prophecy, when we stand on the Word, when we show other people lives transformed, we can expect then supernatural results. Look at verse 12. As a result, many Jews believed. Listen, I'm so fired up that Miss Jenny got to share the gospel with one little boy last week. Can you imagine for the day, maybe on launch day, if we have 5, 10, 15, 20 people get saved? Listen, I don't speak in tongues. I got trouble with the one I've got, but I just might be tempted to do it that day, okay? I just might do a jig up in here. I mean, we ought to be so excited for the Word of God to get out there and transform lives. What are we expecting? 
Why are we doing this? When they, yeah, there are great churches all across northeast Georgia. Why another church? Well, the population of Hall County is going to triple in the next 30 years. I don't know of another church in northeast Georgia that is striving to be bilingual, that every service, we don't have a separate service for Hispanic people. We're going to have one bilingual service. Pastor Roger back there right now translating as I preach into that app. We're testing it out today. I pray it will all work. We're not trying to be like every other church. Man, I want Free Chapel to, to prosper. I want Lakewood to prosper. I want Airline to prosper. I want Riverbend. I want every church in Hall County that stands on the Word of God to prosper. We're not in competition with them. We are in competition with the devil. We're all trying to get the truth out there. And if we stand on the truth of God's Word, I'm telling you, He's going to do supernatural stuff in our midst. So let's personalize this. Are we more like the Thessalonians? or the Bereans. Evidently, the Thessalonians, they weren't too terribly interested because they didn't say they were eager. He didn't say they compared what they heard with the truth of Scripture. Or are we going to be like the Bereans? We're eager. We're like that second baseman. My glove is outstretched. Throw it to me. I'm ready to catch it. Are we eager to receive the Word of God? Are we eager to let the Word of God transform our lives so that we can walk out of this community center and go out into this community and share the good news of the gospel with them? Have you been rejected before sharing the gospel? You know, I got saved at 15 as a high school freshman. I told you, the first person I ever witnessed to, if we're on the internet, I'd tell you his name. He lived down Cemetery Road from me. I was terrified, but I knew the Lord had saved me. I knew that what I had, I wanted all my friends to have. I wanted everybody to know what God had done for me. And I finally mustered up the nerve to share the gospel with this young man who was my age, lived up the road from me. I probably stuttered, fumbled, mumbled, and everything else, and dude didn't get saved. Um, even at this age, if he ever gave his life to Christ, I never heard it. I was so defeated. I'm like, God, I finally got up the nerve to do this. And dude did not get saved. You know what? The power is not in the person. You don't, listen, we're not keeping score. We're not saying who can win the most of Jesus. You just be a faithful witness. You share the truth and then the results are on, the, uh, on them. Then their blood's not on my hand. The apostle Paul said, I've become all things to all men that by all means I might win some. We look for opportunities to relate to people, commonalities that you have with people so that you can share the gospel. If everybody I shared the gospel with got saved, I might get puffed up about it. I might say, look at me. Everybody I talk to gets saved. Y'all are following me and do like I do. It ain't about me. God lets me fail plenty of times so that when he does something, everybody knows it's not Mike. It's the Holy Spirit that did that. The power is in the Word of God. So don't let that sad rejection stifle you from doing God, what God's called you to do. What are you doing to live right side up in this upside down world? If we are to successfully do this, if we're going to successfully live right side up in an upside down world, we've got to be devoted to the Word of God, that's the anchor of transformation, with discipline and determination. With discipline, we discipline ourselves. Paul told young Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Listen, we discipline ourselves to exercise and to lose weight and to get in shape. We discipline ourselves to memorize things that you need for exams in college. We discipline ourselves. I discipline myself to memorize halftime shows. Listen, when I was in band, we had a different halftime show every week. How I remember that, I do not know. But, you know, we might, we might leave one or two songs. But we memorize all this stuff. We discipline ourselves for all, and there's nothing wrong with any of that. Cheerleaders, they memorize their cheers. If we can discipline ourselves for those things, Paul says to young Timothy, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. I want to be disciplined to live that godly life, that transformed life. So people say, what's different about you? 
You know, we had the conversation last week. I don't even remember who I was talking to. That if you just, it was in our, our small group, I think, Wednesday night after Alex shared. If you, just, or if you just show any godliness at all, if you even talk about God, are you a preacher? People just assume you're a preacher if you love Jesus. Why is that? Because so few people are vocal about our faith that when somebody is vocal about our faith, they just make the assumption, oh, he must be a preacher. No, it's the norm. It is, you will receive power, Acts 1-8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Holy Spirit comes upon you at the moment of your salvation. So Acts 1-8 is not just for preachers. It's for anybody that has the Holy Spirit living inside of them and you've been transformed by the Word of God. So we're going to do that with discipline. We're going to do that with determination. Do you know that 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 if you died five minutes ago, you'd be in heaven? You know, are we sad about my stepmother? Yeah, we're sad. But our prayer is for God to have mercy. She's suffering. She's not going to get better. When I invited my daddy and stepmother to go to church with me on Mother's Day, I was 20-something years old with a baby sister, a college graduate. If I'd have never invited them to church, if Clark Standard, a faithful preacher, if he hadn't shared the gospel and my stepmother never gave her life to Jesus, we'd be dealing with a whole different situation right now. Our tears would be not just for us, but also for Mary. But her sister said uh, two weeks ago when I was down there, Mary, are you ready to die? She said, no, I'm not ready to die. But when Jesus calls my name, I'll be ready to go then. When Jesus calls your name, are you ready to go? Has there been a point and a time in your life, not just that you're a good person, not just that you come to church, but have you repented? We talked about this Wednesday night. Not a term you hear a whole lot in church anymore. Repentance means I'm doing my own thing. I'm living for Mike. I'm doing whatever makes Mike happy. The Holy Spirit of God speaks to my heart. I hear the Word of God, and repentance means I turn. I stop what I'm doing. I don't have to understand all the Bible. I have to memorize a bunch of Scripture. I just trust Him. Faith is forsaking all, I take him. F-A-I-T-H. I turn, I repent, and I embrace the gospel. I can never be good enough. You can never be good enough. I trust what Jesus Christ did, the virgin-born, sinless, spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world when he died on that cross and he said, it is finished. That was an accounting term. In the original language, it meant the debt is paid in full. Ever worked in accounting, they stamped that thing with that red. You ever paid off a car? It's a great feeling. Poof, paid in full. When Jesus died on the cross, my sins and your sins were paid in full. He's not going to force that on you. He says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then and only then you can be saved. If you've never given your life to Christ, I told you about my stepmother getting saved. She was raised in church. Her mom and daddy seemed to be godly people. They were a little primitive Baptists. They went to church about, I think, about once a month or every other week. It was a little bitty country church. And so the preacher in that rural area, he rotated other churches. She was raised in church. She'd heard the gospel. But if she died before then, she'd have busted hell wide open. I was a pretty good kid, too. You know, I have a sister that was meaner than me, they tell me, growing up. So I always looked good, I mean, beside my younger sister. I was a good kid. I respected my elders. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. I'd get whipped if I didn't. That don't make me a Christian. I had to come to the point as a 15-year-old young man, I am not saved. I'm separated from God, and I can never be good enough. When I trusted what Jesus did on the cross to do for me what I could never do then and only then, that I have to stop being afraid when I went to bed at night that the rapture happened, I'd be left behind. I was no longer fearful of what would happen to me if I died when I prayed that prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep if I should die before I wake. Terrified me to pray that little prayer. I don't want to die before I wake because I don't know where I was going to go. But once Jesus Christ became the Lord of my life, 
M.C. Hammer's no theologian, but he got it right when he said, you can't touch this. I got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy. You got to come through God the Father, God. I can't believe I just used M.C. Hammer. You got to come through God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit to get to me. You can't touch this. You can hurt me. You can say stuff about me. You can burn down my house. You can flood my house. Been there, done that. But you cannot separate me from the love of God. You got to be able to change the very nature of God. Nothing can separate us, Romans 8, from the love of God. Maybe you say, preacher, I know I'm saved, but I've just kind of gotten away from it. Talked to somebody a few weeks ago, said, you know, I was raised in the Word, used to go to church, I used to read the Word, but I've gotten out of the Word, I've gotten out of church, but I'm going to start coming to Transformation Church. I'm going to get involved. Maybe you've allowed stuff to come into your life, and I'm so thankful that God still, even after we're saved, He allows U-turns. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, and it's a curious thing to me because God knows it anyway. You know, when people know you're a preacher, if they cuss, they, oh, I'm sorry, preacher. Hey, I ain't always here, but God is. He hears you all the time when the preacher's not there. He already knows it, but he wants us to humble ourselves. And confess means I'm a great God. I messed up. I agree with you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. All is a pretty all-inclusive word. There's nothing that you can think of that is too big for the grace of God. If you need to repent, if you need to make a recommitment of your life to the Lordship of Christ, there's no better day than today. If you would like to become a member of Transformation Church, what does it mean to become an official member of the church? Come and talk to us. We'd love to talk to you about being a member even before we launch on February the 26th. You want to volunteer to serve. You want to see God do something big. You want to give some of these people a break who are here every Sunday morning at 7. Hey, God's called me to serve. I want to serve. How can I serve? You don't see my wife and Pastor Matt's wife in very many services because they're always in children's church and nursery, and they love what they do. But wouldn't it be nice, once again, to have a rotating schedule so that not everybody's back there every single week. We'll train you. We'll equip you. We'll help you get ready. If you feel called to serve, you come and see us. Maybe you just want to come and pray privately. Maybe you have a burden on your heart. Somebody that you know that's lost, you want to come and pray for them. Somebody that's struggling, you want to come and pray for them. Somebody that's been given a bad diagnosis from a medical doctor this week and they need prayer. And this time of invitation as Pastor Matt comes and leads us in singing, if everything's okay between you and Jesus, you stand and sing. If you can't sing with a clear conscience, you need to come and pray for whatever it is, you do that. If you want someone to pray with you in Spanish or in English, we have people who can do both right here at Transformation Church. Pray with me. Father... I'm so thankful for the all-encompassing, life-transforming gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, I thank you that Acts 17 is just as true for us at this East Hall Community Center in 2023 as it was in the very first century. So may we be like the Bereans. God, give us a hunger and a thirst for your word. Give us a desire to check out everything we hear from a preacher, from a friend, from whoever that may sound good but Lord, discipline us to check it out against the absolute standard of your word. May we be like those Berean Christians. God, we're trusting you to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all that we could ever ask or imagine. And may it begin in this place today. Help us to honor you and obey you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Pastor Matt's going to come. As I said, if everything's okay between you and the Lord, you sing, you worship. If you need to sit right there and pray, you sit right there and pray. You want somebody to pray with you, we'll do that. Or you want to come and pray at this altar, you do whatever God tells you to do.